You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Laura, how are you? I'm okay. How are you doing? I like your shirt. Thanks. Used to fit a little bit better. (laughs) (laughs) Too many pliables. Oh I god! Like this. So funny. Every time I say that, I used to know somebody whose little brother has Asperger's, and his way of telling you he liked you was telling you he like I like your shirt. That was the way he knew how to tell you, you know, that he like that's funny appreciated you or had you know warm feelings for you. And so I finally figured it out because it'd be like when he'd see you, it'd be random too. Not like I just saw you and like hey, I like your shirt. Be like in the middle of a dinner or lunch or something. Be like, I like your shirt. <laughs> so somehow when I said really that, funny. I know I thought I was like, I was telling you like, I like you, Laura. I like you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that darling? That's really funny. One of my favorite details. Little Seth. I like your shirt. So should we jump into things I should have been trained on? Yes. <laughs> All right. So today's things I should have been trained on is when to send out or skip a press release for a client. Did you get trained on this? Well, I don't know if it's a matter of did I get trained on it, but it's a almost constant discussion, right? Well, there's two things I think. The press release is all some clients even know. So like, let's do a press release and they don't even know really what they're talking about. So you've got that education to provide and the world has changed the reason why they say that is because that's a lot of what like pr used to be based on now there's so many other things with technology and just how the media has changed Mm. that uh, press releases are still used and the foundation of you know many pr strategies but they only work in a few scenarios it's a little bit of a matrix because if you've got some big, huge, major company that's like a market mover, it probably always works, right? But do you want to be putting out a press release every day of the week? No. That's a not lot unless, of time. Not unless you're doing SEO triage and trying to cover something Well, else. right. So that's the other thing. <laughs> so even if you have a small client that, you know, a press release isn't going to make people stop. Yeah. But if that company is as interested in just having a release out on the web for SEO purposes, or to be able to like put things on their website, just to show that they're doing stuff, you know, then fine. Although those kinds of things can also be handled by using like a blog post or a LinkedIn post, right? Mm. So I guess the universe of tools has expanded and with that the complexity of making the decision of what to use has also expanded and what works for one company is not the right decision for another company and what works for one initiative is not the right decision for another initiative Mm -hmm. although I was not trained like Uh it's an ongoing evolution and so I feel like I have in all of my different roles been quite educated on it So are there rules of thumb in your mind for when to send out or not send out a press release? I feel like it's such a case-by-case scenario. What do you think? I mean, I would say I generally tell clients that if it's a really big announcement, either a momentum release or a new feature or a new product or something that they want to make sure that announcement lives on in perpetuity online. Mm -hmm. that's worth putting it out even just for SEO purposes. Same thing for new hires. Like most people aren't going to write stories about a new executive being hired, but it is the kind of thing you do want people to be able to find when they search for your company online, Mm -hmm. right? So it's sort of more of an SEO play to put the release out in that case. I've had a couple of clients who wanted to put out funding announcements, but were not able to include details of same thing. I had a client recently who decided to put out some news about this incubator that they were doing. And originally when we talked about it, 
there was a dollar amount attached that was quite impressive. Mm-hmm. And then the dollar amount was ripped from the final release. Oh. And we decided to put out anyway because it was something that was really important to them. But it was like, this isn't really supposed to go out anymore, right? You've you've neutered it too much. Like it needs yeah. some meat and some details and some facts and some figures and something sexy. And so I think if you're trying to put out a press release and withhold too many facts and details, it's not a good idea. So you have to be prepared if you're going to put out news that you want to feel substantial to substantiate that news with something, you know. This is something that I've done recently with, you know, startup or lesser known companies who are doing funding announcements or deals, something with more established companies. Mm-hmm. And the press releases get watered down. And then it's like, well, this is like not even really even news. You're not giving a point of view or there's no story here or there's no big, you know, dollar amount or whatever it is. So what we've done is we've put those press releases out because we wanted to show that we were working with these, you know, big investors or big companies. Mm -hmm. And then when we pitched the release, we put everything that they had taken out back in, but didn't put it on the wire. But we were talking to reporters. Did you get permission to do that? No. (laughs) <laughs> now we didn't we, we didn't change anybody's quote you know what i mean like for like if if the if the partnering company like redid their quote we didn't change that because that's literally what their executive said but a lot of the stuff that got pulled out is they were not comfortable with like you know how we were positioning the industry because for the startup they're trying to like you know change the industry for the big company, they need, they exist for the, the way things, the status quo. Right, right. So we just, you know, put everything in the pitch that had been, ta- almost everything in the pitch that had been taken out of the release. And, you know, because then it's just like, well, that's what we talked about. You know, we verbally said these things. It wasn't that we put it out on early. You can't tell my CEO what he literally can't say out of his mouth. That is so interesting. So the client knew you were including these details, but the partner did not. Exactly. Okay. 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 That's yes, better. I thought, up, I yeah, thought no, we didn't just like, yeah, it the, we just, <laughs> you know, we got the, the green light from our client. Cause they're like, you know, they're like hard charging startups, right? <laughs> it works out fine because, you know, no reporter is going to use everything anyway. So like a bit right. or a piece or whatever. And again, it was like, they talk to the CEO. He explains to them how he sees the market. Like, you can't control what comes out of this man's mouth, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting way to, like, do the press release to show that we were working with big, you know, established people or companies and get it on the wire that almost said nothing, right? Like, a lot of press releases often are not very newsworthy. Right. But still got the news value when we did the pitching. I love it. That's so smart. But you do have to get the buy-in of your client. Yes. No, I, thought, I, I, I misunderstood. I thought you were basically like, well, the client didn't let us use this. So we just did it anyway. I was like, no, oh, and we shit. got it in writing too. Cause if it came back to bite Can't do that. us in the butt, we didn't want it to be yeah, yeah. us. We had to be like, Mm-mm. we had a whole discussion right here. You said, go for it. Yeah. So in some, I would say, Put out a press release for substantial news that you can substantiate. And if it's just a pitch that doesn't have to go on the wire for SEO purposes mm-hmm. and or because it's not super major, just save your money and don't put it on the wire for that one. Right. Because then let's explain to people, putting a press release on the wire is very expensive. It is expensive. And press releases take a lot of time. You might think, well, what do you mean? I hired a PR firm. Aren't they good at writing? They should be able to bang this out in an hour, an hour and a half. That might be. It always takes a little longer than you think. But then I can't tell you how many times, especially when you've got more than you and your client, it takes forever to get it where everybody's happy with it. It will go around and around. And just when you think that all the edits are done, somebody flies in and there's more edits and has to be reapproved. I mean, this stuff can take three and four weeks. Yes. So you're spending a whole lot of time, which equals money on releases. It's not just an hour and a half exercise ever. Agreed. 
Well, I see Ray in our waiting room. Should I let her in? Yes. Okay. There's some cat hair in my nose. Hey, Ray. Hey, I came in at the right time. I heard cat hair in my nose. <laughs> I was like, so itchy. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. My white cat sheds like crazy. Oh my God. And he he's just like asleep. Um, actually, you can see his paw. Look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mine does the same thing. And my husband gets all mad. He's like, hey, get off my wife's boobs. <laughs> yeah. So he's so asleep cute. like a little baby on his back <laughs> on my lap. And then he's got his little paw here. And then it's like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, so itchy. <laughs> He's so happy. Anyway, welcome, Ray. What a weird introduction. I love it. I love it. Our guest today is Ray Cornell. She is the CEO and content strategist at Cornell Content Marketing, and she has other side things she's going to tell us about. But in the meantime, she is here to discuss why it can be beneficial to be polarizing as a brand why uh, a business and by extension your PR strategy should be designed to suit you, not the other way around, and why you should never be asked to change in order to succeed, especially in PR and marketing. Welcome, Ray. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, April. Yeah, it's so good to have you. We're super excited. So first, before, because I know there's other things that you have that you're doing, can you briefly explain your background and all the things that you're doing so people have context for why you're an expert in all of these topics? Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing copywriting and content creation for over 15 years now. And over that time, I went from being a solopreneur to building up an agency. And once I was running my agency, at our biggest, we had about 25 team members and decided to scale down after a while. And that's a whole other story. But I was mentoring a lot of the freelancers who were on my team. And so over time, I decided to completely separate out those mentoring programs that just kind of naturally evolved by things like, you know, I was getting pissed off when my writers would tell me that they wanted $20 for a blog post. I'm like, that's way too low. Are you like eating top ramen for dinner every single night? This is not acceptable. And so we just kind of naturally fell into this mentoring role. And I ended up uh, building my second business, Kyron Consulting, which is a business mentoring and training platform for people who are self-employed as creatives, like writers, designers, photographers, VAs, social media managers, all that creative fun digital stuff. So cool. I love it. It's, it's such a good backstory too. Awesome. So let's dive into the first one about why it can be beneficial to be polarizing as a brand. Yeah. Um, What, so tell us your thoughts on that. Why, why is it beneficial and what do you mean by polarizing? Yeah. So what I mean by that is so many people, especially nowadays, they're afraid to say anything because they're afraid of either alienating themselves or maybe making a potential client upset or not like them or making someone who could potentially refer business to them upset or not like them. Like they're just so afraid of the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs that they end up saying nothing. And what happens when you do that, when you just say nothing, when you're just trying to appease everybody is you are like a white plastic spoon. You're just, (laughs) you're, you're generic. There's no style to you. There's no flavor to you. There's just nothing of substance there for anybody to say, Ooh, I like that. I want that. That fits into my collection that doesn't. Mm. And so in the process of trying not to push people away, you're actually just putting yourself in a silo Mm -hmm. and isolating yourself. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you talk about the things that you actually care about, when you get polarizing on particular topics and, you know, an example is I'm very involved in the freelance community, the self-employed entrepreneur kind of world, being a W2 employee is just a foreign language to us. Like that's Mm -hmm. my little community. I'm not super outgoing, but I get really loud about things like Upwork and Fiverr and these platforms that are just completely destroying our little world of creative freelance. And those things sometimes make people mad. And so it's those sorts of things where if you aren't taking a stand on anything, then you're just invisible. And Mm -hmm. even speaking up about something that may be completely irrelevant to one person who might be hearing you, it gives you something of substance that they can then remember about you. Mm -hmm. What do you hate about Upwork and Fiverr? Just quickly. Oh my God. (laughs) Quickly. 
we would need an hour. Um, it's a bid to the bottom site. It's just like vampiric the way that Upwork and Fiverr take 20% of these hard-earned earnings from doing creative work. And then at the same time, these creatives are being forced to lower their rates to get the job because it's all about who can do the work in the fastest time frame for the lowest price. And then they don't even get that, you know, $25 for right. a blog post mm. or $50 for a logo. They don't even get that. They get 80% of that. It's just sick and disgusting in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's very exploitative. <laughs> you know, it's really, so what you were saying actually touches on, on two things that I like to talk about, which is funny because they're, they're juxtaposed, but one is that I agree that to attract people to you that are like you, you have to be authentic, right? So you have to actually be yourself. On the other hand, I actually also don't think it's very wise as a brand to be too out there with socio-political issues. And I know this is going against the grain because most people are like, oh, every brand should get out there and throw their hat in, you know, with all of the social movements that are happening. Um, They take a stand and it's their responsibility. But I actually disagree. It's funny because it's like, it sounds like those are, are opposing views. But I don't think they are. Do you? No, I don't think they are. And and the reason why is because you want to be polarizing for a purpose. You don't want to be polarizing just to get people riled up. And, you know, you don't want to just be a troll online and with your marketing and with your PR. Yeah, there's no point. So, for example, within my businesses, there's no point in me talking about politics. There's absolutely no point. It does me no good because the people I want to work with, I don't care what their political views are. Right. But the people I want to work with, they do have views on healthy work boundaries and how much they should earn. And, you know, and I'm talking about the current consulting side where I work with freelancers. I do want to work with people who care more about building a healthy, happy, profitable business that can be sustained for years and years and years. And I mean, I've been at this 15 years. Mm -hmm. I want people who want that. So it serves me to be polarizing about things like that. It serves me none to be polarizing about politics. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And it's different. I mean, that it's different to be yourself. I think too many people over-identify with a movement as being part yeah. of self, right? Because I think that we're individualistic people who each have our own gifts and special talents and personalities and personas and critical thinking skills, like all of those things, right? And we're very complex and layered and have lots of different life experiences and perspectives. And I think losing that is not a great thing either. So looking at your PR strategy, your marketing strategy, you have to remember, especially in this day and age, everything is permanent. So with that in mind, when you align yourself to a group, a group is naturally going to evolve over time. And you as an individual, you're going to evolve over time. And if those two evolutions are divergent, you don't want to associate yourself with something that may not be aligned in the future. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. Even political parties, right? The, The value shift and things like that. And then suddenly if you're identified as this kind of a political party and suddenly it stands for something different, well, oh boy, you know? Right. Right. And PR and marketing and and public opinion is not that forgiving. People aren't forgiving in that way. They respect Mm -hmm. personal growth and you owning what has changed over the course of your life. They assign a lot of permanence to you aligning yourself with groups and movements and political parties and things like that. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So when you get into the next piece, you know, why a business and by extension, your PR strategy should suit you and not the other way around. I feel like they're interconnected here. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, they are. And when I talk about business strategy and building your custom you know, business model and things like that, you are the only constant thing in your life. And ultimately, you have to decide what you want your life to look like. And a lot of us left the corporate world that like W2 life, because we were being forced into a company's boxes. We were being told you have to show up at this time, you have to do your work in this way, you have to use these systems, you have to use these tools. So then when you see all these ads running on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram, and people are popping into your DMs and sending you all this stuff like, oh, you've got to buy my 10x your business, you know, you know, template sales funnels and all of these things. You're just forcing yourself back into those boxes that you wanted to get away from. Mm -hmm. And the thing with 
PR and marketing and attracting in your audience is when someone walks into a room, when someone shows up on camera, when they are on a podcast appearance, when they're hosting a webinar, their energy is what gets people to say, yes, I like that person or, oh, I don't think I'm in the right place. Mm-hmm. But if you are forcing yourself to do everything that other people say you should do, like, oh, you have to run a webinar and you have to push really hard for sales at the end of that webinar and get them to buy into your high ticket program. If that's the kind of model that's being prescribed on you, your energy is going to be flat as opposed to you just showing up, doing what feels good for you, what makes you feel most comfortable, what gets you excited. And then your natural energy comes out and people are drawn to that. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. It's, it is interesting how much is conveyed over video Yeah. in terms of somebody's demeanor, personality, you know, energy, all of those things. I mean, yeah. I still haven't met Laura in person, weirdly enough, <laughs> but I know I would have zero surprises. Yeah. And that's what you want. You don't yeah. want to, let's say someone uses marketing strategy or a funnel that they bought something where they're like, you know, book out your coaching calendar with this sales system and and whatnot. They use the system, they show up in one way. And then when it comes time to actually do their work, they show up in a completely different way. And their clients or their customers are having massive buyer's remorse Mm -hmm. because they feel like it was a bit of a bait and switch. They're like, I bought apples and I got oranges. This doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good. And so not only do you then have increased refund requests and things like that. People who just drop out of your programs or stop working with you, stop buying your services, but also you have to then heal the client expectations and customer expectations. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Isn't it like the Holy grail to be able to, you know, bring your real self or whole self to work. So do you have any, I don't know, case study example or advice on how to be able to do that. Cause I still feel like even if you don't work like for somebody, you still have clients, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're not always going to see eye to eye. And you know, there's times at which you sort of have to maybe not say what you would want it, what you really want to say or do what you really want to do. How do you avoid, I guess, at least getting stuck in a rut where you're doing it repeatedly, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. So I I get that you have to kind of balance, walk this line between being a real person and being a professional. And the way that I've kind of evolved in my way of doing this over the years is to really blur that line a little bit, have some human non-business, non-buttoned up qualities injected into your very first interactions with someone. So for example, I just had my non-sleazy sales tactics for creative entrepreneurs workshop. And I explain exactly how I handle sales calls. And in that process, I like to make whoever I'm talking to laugh, you know, whatever it is, some silly little joke. I like to make people laugh on that initial sales call so that they can expect that I'm not always going to be so buttoned up, so professional, so like closed off. I'm going to be a real person and they can talk to me about silly little icebreaker things like that. I have found, April will be so surprised, that there are people who I have worked for, whether it be their company or they're just like the senior person, because I've tried, because I do that. Yeah. What you're saying. And they it makes them so uncomfortable and they think I'm a lunatic. Yeah. Well, then those aren't people that you want to work with. Yeah. So it's a good vetting process too. I mean, I, I think as a business leader, what I've seen over the years and even experienced myself is that you attract to you people that are like you, right? So clients and employees, and you can see it at companies where the lead person is emotionally unstable Mm -hmm a little bit back and forth, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, like those kinds of personalities. Mm -hmm. And typically they attract either people that are sort of have like a victim complex and and just sort of go along with it Mm -hmm. and or people that are also equally unstable, right? And so when you see that, it's like, oh, 
they're doing that because they're like that. And it just, it, it creates a bigger and bigger cycle of the same personality. Right. And so I think as a leader, it's important to get yourself right first. Right. And then once you do that, then your issues don't get magnified by every layer of complexity you add to your organization, (laughs) because otherwise all you do is just create a bigger and bigger version of your own dysfunction creating, like I said, like, you know, layers. Yeah. It's like an exponential version of your own psychology and malfunction. Right. (laughs) So it's very important to get that right. But I've, but I've seen that when people get it right, then they, they do attract people like them to them. Right. And It was really interesting. Last week, I talked to my first prospect who had seen my TEDx talk, which is not really all that corporate and not really all that, you know, designed to be a sales tool. But he saw it and he said, you know, I've had I've been pitched by so many different PR firms and I haven't wanted to talk to any of them. But I saw your TEDx talk and it really resonated with me. And so I decided I wanted to talk to you. I didn't go out there to do that as a sales technique. I went out there because I felt like I had something to share that was important. And my hope is that more of that will happen, right? So it'll attract more employees and clients that have a similar approach to self, approach to life, approach to same values, right? Like same humanity in the world, et cetera, et cetera, right? So so I, I like your point a lot because I think that the more that you're true to yourself, the more that you get like-minded people, et cetera, Right. So many people think that they have to compromise. They think that they have to settle. They think, oh, this is just the way the world works or, oh, this is just Mm -hmm. the way that business is done. But business is done however you do business. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we're we're working on a planet with what, six billion people now? (laughs) You can find people. How many people do you need? Do you need two people? Do you need six people? Do you need 50 people? You can find the people that you need but it all starts with, you have to be real. You have to be you. You have to set the standard of what you're willing to allow and not allow into your business. And I mean, going back to the beginning of this point, one thing that I won't allow in my business is clients who aren't willing to take a joke and who don't want to, you know, have some lightness and levity to our conversations. And now whatever you decide you want in your business and whoever's listening to this, that's what you can have, mm-hmm. but you have to make that decision and then set the boundaries. Yeah. Set the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. No. So if that, if that means you have a, you know, a baby cat asleep on your lap, like showing his fuzzy feet on screen. But you know what? It also tells people something, right? It tells yeah. them that I'm very patient and that I'm like loving and that I take care of people and creatures. Right. Because yeah. Otherwise, I would be throwing the cat on the floor because I'd be more worried about appearances than the creature, right? So, I mean, people pick up a lot of information from small things like that. It gives them a point to open the door to connecting with you. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's what being visible is all about, is just allowing people to connect with you. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that accomplishes that. Yeah, for sure. So to your last point, why? Should you never be asked to change in order to succeed, especially in PR and marketing? Being in business for yourself has this crazy topsy-turvy effect of making you grow up faster. And so you're naturally going to go on this evolution of your own. I look back on conversations that I had early in my journey. I'm like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. I can't Mm. believe I used to do that. Or you can't believe I used to say that. I can't believe my website looked like that or my logo looked like that. But that's how I got to where I am here. And it's a natural organic evolution. And it's one that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're working with someone who's like, you need to change this, this, and this about you, it's going to be such a departure from what's actually true that you're going to lose those people who, if you had just stayed the course and gone on your continuation of your own natural evolution, you would have connected with them and you would have related to them because they went through the same growing pains as you did. Those are the people that you want. You don't want the people who want the fake facade. Right. Right. It's funny. Cause I, I just, I was just showing uh, my boyfriend, these old music videos that I did and they're um, <laughs> the pretty, music embar- videos. I love it. pretty embarrassing uh, and also pretty crazy. And he's yeah. like, are these online? Like people can find these, like your clients could see this. I was like, I mean, if they looked, I guess so. 
was like, is that okay? And I was like, it's where I came from. You know what I mean? It's like, not gonna hide it. Like, that's who I was for a while. And I have evolved. And, you know, it's, it's, I'm not gonna try to whitewash my past, you know, because no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, I mean, not that I'm gonna go out and point clients to these crazy videos either. But, you know, but it's like, I still think, you know, people need to kind of wear their evolution as a badge of honor in a way, right? Like they shouldn't be ashamed. I mean, yes, there are things that I did that I wouldn't ever do again or recommend anyone else do many of them, but I, but it's like, it's like, it's like I learned lessons from those that have made me the human I am now, right? Right. They make me more empathetic and more dimensional. And I understand people from all walks of life because, oh yeah, well, I I did that for a bit and I was over here for a bit and like, oh yeah, I had that problem for, you know, it's like, it's like, those are the kinds of things though, that, that make you relatable to your point what you've done in the past has ripple effects Mm -hmm. to today. And so when people are looking for PR help and marketing help, I just, I cringe when they sign up with these agencies that want to change their identity for the sake of a brand. Mm -hmm. And instead you should be choosing people who are encouraging you on your path of evolution that you're already on. Because if you think building your own personal brand makes you grow up fast and building your own business makes you grow up fast, becoming visible. That's a whole other level of okay. personal evolution. Yep. And there are people out there, like someone that we both know, Taryn Reeves, the mm-hmm. publisher at Four Eagles Publishing. We had some heart to hearts when we were doing a book together earlier this year. And she was telling me, Hey, I think you still have some healing to do around this one particular issue that I talked about in my chapter. Mm-hmm. She wasn't telling me what to do but she was giving me that loving nudge of, Hey, if you want to be more visible and you want to kind of break down these barriers and resistance that I think you're Mm. feeling, this is my advice for you. And she did it in that very supportive way. And I wish that's what everyone who's looking for PR and marketing support Mm -hmm. would do. Right. I love that. I love that. Oh, this is such, I mean, it's a good note to end on. Laura, do you have any final questions? I def- definitely want to have Ray plug her books and whatever else she wants to plug. No, let us uh, know what, what do you have going on? What are these books? <laughs> okay, so there's one book out right now. That's Corporate Dropouts. So if you really resonated with what we talked about at the beginning, like leaving the world of being an corporate employee America. and all of that, leaving corporate America. Or corporate America. world, corporate corporate global doesn't have to be America. Right. Exactly. Yes. Good point. Corporate global. A lot of the authors in that book are actually from the UK and Australia and just all over. Corporate dropouts is the book that came out earlier this year, has some amazing stories in there. And then, yeah, if you want answers to all your copywriting and brand voice questions, you can check me out at Cornell Content Marketing. And if you're trying to build a business and you're trying to figure out all the pieces to make it totally custom to you, you can find me at kyronconsulting.us. I love it. Are you writing a new book too? Did I make that up in my head? No, you're not. You're, you're not. Okay. But you, you can't know, talk about it. it. Um, I can. It's um, going to be a new multi-author book with the same publisher for Eagles Publishing and it's called She Speaks. So I'm doing a chapter in that book. And then I'm also working on a solo book. Nice. Holy cow. (laughs) Well, I write for a living, so I have no excuse, right? (laughs) Like, I should be able to write a book, shouldn't I? Hey, uh, April, did you see um, that I was published in the Wall Street Journal last week? What? What? No. You missed my story? I'm so sorry. You didn't tell me. I know. I I put it all over social media. I know, but I'm stinking. I know. I'm sure. So, yeah. It, uh, it, there was a, a question about basically they wanted to hear from people about how s- their most memorable sports moment. And so, yes. so this is a long article with like, I don't know, 14 or 15 people's stories. And most of them are like, oh, I was, you know, at the 1960 World Series with my grandfather, whatever. But mine was, I think, the only one out of all of them that wasn't about like a big you know, national or international sports moment they remember. It was about like my experience, like playing sports as a, a young kid and what that meant and what, how important I think it is, especially to like, you know, younger girls to, to be on a team. Um, and so it was like the, it was the closing story of the whole thing. So I'll have to make sure I'll, I'll send it your way. Yeah, because, send it to me. That's amazing. Yeah. Congrats. Awesome. Congratulations. Um, you said that you were uh, writing. I was like, and that's my whole thing. Like, finally, on the other 
on the other side of the byline, <laughs> right up front, not not behind the scenes. Not behind the scenes. I love it. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. That's huge. Congrats. That is amazing. Ray, any final questions for us? No pressure. You don't have to have one. I just we asked you all the questions, so this is your moment. If you have a question for us, what's because I have this problem. Hmm. What's your best? work from home tip when working with a cat because mine likes to come in at exactly five <laughs> o'clock every day and meow his little face off no matter if he has food water nothing he just wants attention and he will come in and he will like hop on my desk and knock things off of my desk he will do all the things to annoy me and get my attention and you are somehow making the cat mom thing work how do you do it so if i have a very important call or i have a habitual issue like that <laughs> I will actually put this one because he's always the troublemaker. He's like, wants to be in my lap the whole day. I'll actually put him in a room and shut the door. <laughs> Just isolate the problem. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's not a way to, there's no way around. I mean, otherwise yeah. you're going to spray You can spray him with water. That's like yeah. the best way. I mean, that's what I do when he gets in my plants, which sometimes happens. Yeah. I have a spray bottle on my desk <laughs> and I do this. And I, spray him. <laughs> I don't want to not let him on my lap. Right. right. So I don't want to teach him not to get on my lap because it's cute and sweet, but yeah. I don't need him there all the time. Like, is there somebody behind you right now? Is there a cat? That's my dog. Oh, so <laughs> he's the one who's actually being a problem right now. I'm bitching about my cat, oh, but he? he's actually the one who's causing problems oh right God, now. He's so cute. What kind of dog is that? <laughs> he's a pit bull mix. Can you come here? I love puppies. I love oh. all animals. <gasps> oh, oh he's so cute. Hi, there. <laughs> Oh my God. He's so handsome. Oh, look at this. Oh, someone wants he's attention. Like, I'm he's like, I'm handsome too. And there's a cat in the, in the background. In the back too. Yeah, that's, that's hunting. I know. It's yeah, my cat I'm came in, too. got some food and left. It's animal hour. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> we'll continue this podcast with a, a guest appearance from Alton. Awesome. Thank you so much for having Funny me. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. I'll talk to you Thanks. soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I thought Thank that was really interesting. That was an interesting discussion with Ray. It was a very interesting discussion with Ray. Um, would you like to get into our PR news of the week or our horror story? What do you feel like? Well, I have a I don't know if you saw the Slack, but I have a baseball PR yes, story. I didn't have a chance to read it. So enlighten me and our listeners on what, what happened, happened today. Well, so the problem crime. is right. By the time this comes out, who knows what will have happened. But the latest story is <laughs> Josh Donaldson on the Yankees and Tim Anderson on the White Sox don't really get along. Okay. And the other day, Josh Donaldson called him Jackie, like as in Jackie Robinson. Uh -oh. And so now there's been back and forth, like that was racist. Was it racist? It's not racist. Oh no. The joke, I guess that he was sort of joke, dig, whatever that Josh Allison was trying to make to Tim Anderson, who is black, is that in 2019, Tim Anderson in an article called himself Jackie Robinson. And so he was sort of making fun of him like, really dude? Like, okay, Jackie. Anyway, Major League Baseball suspended Josh Donaldson for doing this. Oh my God. And the coach of the White Sox said that he thought it was racist. Tim Anderson himself never used the word racist. He said he thought it was disrespectful. And now all over oh like, boy. you know, Yankee, White Sox, baseball, Twitter, you've got the people who are saying Josh Donaldson should not only be suspended, he should be thrown out of baseball forever. Then other people saying, oh my God, these are just guys like going at it because that's what they do. You, you know, you get to try to get under each other's skin, your competitors, et cetera. Right. And then there's definitely a number of people who are like Josh Donaldson is, you know, an idiot. He's a jerk. Nobody really likes him. Regardless if it's racist or not, he's a jerk. He's the kind of guy, he just started playing with the Yankees this year. He's really good and he's the kind of guy that you hate unless he's on your team. So I have been discussing this, but staying Switzerland about it because I don't think that there's a winning answer. So from a PR perspective, mm. what is the least bad answer? Because there's no good answer because you're always going to isolate or piss somebody off here. Now, Josh Donaldson did say on camera 
I apologize if, you know, he didn't, I, I thought it was a joke between he and I, I've said it to him before, I apologize. And if he wants to talk to me about it, I'm willing to talk to him, but I don't think he wants to talk to me. Mm. But then other people are saying, well, he doesn't really like you. You guys aren't friends. So how is that a joke? Mm -hmm. So he is appealing the decision to suspend. It's only one game suspension, but he also is getting fined. I don't know how much. So he is uh, appealing that decision and we'll see what happens. And I don't really like, again, from PR, like, so Major League Baseball, what's the best thing they should have done? From Josh Donaldson's point of view, what's the best thing he could have done? From Yankee, the Yankees. So the manager of the Yankees said, I don't think he meant it in that way, but he should have not said it. Mm-hmm. So now the more that I'm talking about, it, I think everything that everybody did was as best as they could have responded to it. I mean, I think that, you know, politics and sports go together like, you know, pickles and peanut butter jelly. Like, I don't know why you would put that in that, but right. <laughs> it's like, well, well, I mean, the Jackie Robinson, you know, obviously that was political, right? Back in yeah. whatever it was, the 50s, when yeah. he joined Major League Baseball. And that's because, you know, this country was founded on some pretty messed up <laughs> economic decisions and political ideologies that will yep. haunt us forever. And people are way more sensitive to these things now. And it's permeated way more aspects of life now. And it's, there's no gray area to people. The blending of, of social and political issues with everything, right? That's, right. What, I, that's what I'm not, I mean, which is kind of the point I was making earlier about, I don't necessarily think that brands should throw their hat in the ring every time there's a social political right. issue, right? They just look opportunistic yeah, and, they, and they risk associating themselves with something that to raise point could shift and change dramatically and in not so big of amount, an amount of time, right? I mean, even with the, you know, all those companies that were firing people that weren't vaccinated and things like that. And it's like, and now vaccinations seem to be kind of a non-issue. I mean, it's- Relative to where it was. Relative correct. to what it was, right? I mean, I'm not, not trying to say it's not important, but it's like, it, that's the hill they chose to die on. And then like six months later? Yeah why die on a hill that might disappear right (laughs) right but the race issue is never going to disappear right no 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 but why why would he say that right why would he even bring that into it and then why did it have to go all the way to spinal tap 11 right couldn't it just be like oh he said something like well right and that's what it used to be right right. it used to be that like you make fun you know you say oh i you know i slept with your mom last night right now it's like, oh my God, you, you, you hate women or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's no banter. There's no joking allowed. However, is it ever funny for a white guy to say something incendiary about race to a black guy? No, no, there's no good reason for that. So, so that's, so he messed up, but then, but then of course the response, like, is the response in kind? I don't know. Don't say that, but right. also should we react with that level of like vitriol? Yeah. And if you watched him, he re- I truly, he was like, he was like, I just, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I would have to say from a PR perspective, and this is a baseball player. This is not like, you know, some politician who's been trained how to speak and answer right, right. questions. He right. did a really good job, but so many people are like, oh my God, he should be out of baseball. Gotta be, watch what you say. My approach to a lot of this stuff in both personal relationships and professional is just to be a little bit less dramatic and a little like more matter of fact about it. Maybe even like embody the masculine energy. You know how guys used to just kind of like hit each other and then they were cool. Yeah. Like I just kind of wish as a society we would re-embrace. Yeah. yeah, like that energy or approach to things, right? Like hey, didn't really like how you talked to me in that meeting. Let's not do that moving forward. Sorry, man, right? Yeah. Move on. <laughs> it's cool. And then we're cool. Like, right. I like that direct, yeah. non-emotional yeah. response. They're going to punish I just, themselves. I mean, this right. is a good example. He says that people find out that's enough punishment. Right, because a lot of people think he sucks. Right. So 
why he just tarnished his own he just did it to himself let him hang himself you know what i mean like he gave himself enough rope why the response that's potentially not in kind meaning it's it's doesn't match the the action right you bring a cannon to a knife fight right right and 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 I'm sure people disagree, and they think it is it is equal. Well, right? they do. But there That's are lots the, of people yeah. who don't. So it's like, why not just let him just make do himself it? look yeah. foolish and and then move on and be the bigger person? I mean, Chris Rocket, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that that's a good yeah. example of like how a masculine response yeah. and masculine can be from right from a female and Chris Rock came out so much on did, top. Yeah. Cause he was just like, all right, like, wow, that was extreme. Moving right. on. Right. You made yourself look like an idiot and I don't even need to do anything. And you're going to, your whole career is going to be buried. I don't need to say a thing. And What's if Chris whole, had responded. Then the energy would have come back on him. And then everybody's like, ah, right. It's like, uh, when, and when, you, Will, when your and enemy Will is Smith make, would have gotten a pass more so. Right. Cause he would have been on the same level. Yep. It's like when your enemy is making a mistake, don't interrupt him kind of thing. Right. But now the coach stepped in and MLB stepped in and and it's just like a circus. Like, why is everybody in everybody's business? Just like, go do your thing. I do my thing. You stay out of my business. I say your business. You do something. Yeah. I set a boundary or I don't, or I get over it. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) it doesn't need to be, not everything needs to be some, dramatic cancel culture like right show it's like circus like five ring circus but well i will close with this tim anderson is hot (laughs) (laughs) that is not josh donaldson is on the yankees so so funny so i'm looking at this uh the one of the stories about think carefully before you quote tweet yeah the Guardian newspaper yep. based in the UK yep. released social media guidelines for staff saying we strongly encourage staff to regularly delete historical tweets and other social posts. I mean, on the face of it, that sounds cuckoo to me. Okay. Let me, so think, I don't even know how go to, how to go back, you know, like, eight years to be like, Oh, I shouldn't have said that in, you know, I mean, it's funny. Cause it flies exactly in the face of what Ray and I were talking about. Right. We were talking the evolution, you, the evolution of a person. Right. And that it, it shows your growth and dimensionality. Yep. It's like, why are you whitewashing your past so that you fit the current? Is it so that you fit the party line of the current reality or something? And you don't, show any growth or dimension or mistakes i mean i don't love that i, I mean that- i suppose it's because so many people get in such hot water based on things they you know posted when they were 19 i don't the answer isn't fixing what's there the answer is we should calm the f down yeah and stop being so emotional and reactionary to literally everything not everything is a big f and deal <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah I just don't think the answer isn't, you know, falling into line and never showing any, any weakness. I think people need to just be more empathetic and stop demanding that everyone has it perfect at every single moment of their timeline of their life. That's not realistic. And imagine spending all your time, like reviewing your old tweets. I mean, some people tweet, you know, 40,000 times a year. I do not like this, you know, emotional trigger happy society that's yep. embracing deleting everything that might get anyone canceled from any moment of their time that could have been, I mean, out of context, out of well, And when when you meet people in real life, that's not what you want, right? You want to meet a per- like I just met somebody that I think is super rad and there were like big blocks of his life that he didn't want to talk about. Right? right it was like i relate to you it's like yeah i did this thing it was probably messed up it got me fired it's like okay like that's a person that i i trust because mm-hmm. they're authentic they're not hiding anything mm-hmm. there's like like this other thing feels like well, what are you hiding that you deleted all of your tweets from 2018 mm-hmm. or whatever right. right like what i i'd rather 
see somebody and, and it's like you know any good parent knows that you're gonna mess up their kids are gonna mess up and that's how they grow and learn mm-hmm. you can't keep them from making any mistakes that's that's how we evolve it's not realistic it's, not right. it's also how we evolve and learn as a society so why go back and pretend that your hair didn't look horrible at your prom and delete all the photos right when that's part of what made you who you are i i just right. don't i don't to I make don't, sure your hair looks good all the time <laughs> and i i mean it's funny because it's like should i go back and delete all the music videos where i look like an idiot right and so it's like you know what just then just delete twitter delete all social media from existence just like blow it up then because are all six billion people on the planet going to go back and delete their old tweets i mean enough already i agree with you it's it's super super crazy i i don't like it what's our you know i think that this generation the younger super woke generation and, and in many regards i and right there with them on certain things, like the way they feel they should be treated at work. And there's a lot of things that I'm like, yeah, I was saying that 25 years ago, but everybody thought I was crazy. I was, you know, so ahead of my time. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these things uh, are coming from younger generations, the sort of cancel stuff. I mean, a lot of them are still like not even adult, like, you know, what your brain keeps growing till you're 25 or something. So let's see. 33. All right, so let's see when they're 35, like maybe they're going to back down a little bit off of this like moral high horse because right. I think that they will realize as they go through life that it just isn't uh, not rational so and you can't, you, what was the word you used? Simple. It's not that simple. No, and it's not rational and it, it's, yeah, life goes in many different directions. And once you start living through it more and more and more, you realize ultimately that you're just lucky to be alive. <laughs> at some point no and the older you get the the more you realize you don't know anything yeah there's so i mean i thought i had everything figured out i had no nothing right nothing yeah at and then just wait till like everybody you know starts dying and stuff like it's the, so this that kind of stuff just is not important anymore in the same way that it was yeah. when it was your whole life so there's just so many things that happen that are more important in life than what you know your next door neighbor tweeted at you eight years ago yeah but we'll see hopefully hopefully people wake up to it instead of it becoming like more and more of like the reality of that i know um, well this is what we get for being born humans we should all be kitties what do we have next let's see you want to read the uh the horror story of the day yes i'm going to read today's horror story Let's hear it. Are you ready? Yep. Hi, guys. I recently started freelancing as a PR and event consultant after having worked in-house for most of my career. And I've really been loving the change and the challenge. But my independent client roster is still growing, baby steps, and I am having a hell of a time with one of my clients. This guy runs a small startup, and he's hosting a webinar next month to promote his tax software solution. He wants me to help him achieve 100 attendees, but the problem is that he wants to charge them $50 to attend this event. I just don't think that's going to happen, but he won't hear it. He's a new, no-name entrepreneur, and this tax solution is not riveting stuff, and he's not giving anything away for free at this webinar other than financial planning information, and an overview of his tech solution. I tried to explain that most webinars would do better at this stage if they were free, but he's not hearing it. In his words, he's putting in too much work for people not to pay to attend the event. He won't even agree to offer a free demo for the attendees. I'm at my wit's end trying to explain reality to this guy. Help. I mean, nobody's paying for anything online. Yeah. So this guy is wrong. (laughs) Wrong, wrong, wrong. Lose, lose, lose. So I would like to tell this person 
since obviously the client is not listening and doesn't sound like he's going to listen. I don't want them to spend too much time because then that's a big waste, but you know, spend two hours or something inviting people to this $50 event and see how many people sign up or agree to come. And when zero sign up, then you say, it's hard enough to get people to attend free events. There's no way people are going to pay basically for a sales webinar, right? Yeah. To just like prove your point. It's really hard. I mean, I feel like you could explain to him that you could use the initial webinar as a sales funnel to then create a workshop that's paid or something like that, see how many people, but you should be viewing the webinar as the lead gen tool right. for something like that, right? But a webinar itself is not something people are going to pay for. A workshop, maybe, right. or an, online, after, an online course. Right, after they attended your webinar, then maybe they'll be so interested to get more than you charge them. I think that's brilliant. However, how do you even get people to attend a webinar for free? It's really hard. And, and it's not really PR, it's social media to me, it's marketing. I mean, it's both, but- Nobody's writing an article that, you know, it's not media relations. Not unless you have some kind of extremely famous guests or notable panelists or something like that. Mm -hmm. But if it's just you, I don't know. I mean, I it's something that should even be, you know, maybe you could do a live thing, but it should really be done to be pre-recorded and then released on social yeah. media. You use it to get people to watch it and then capture their, you know, email addresses or whatever, and then market to them later. Yeah, but I have I this feeling it's going to go one of two ways. Either the, the client says, well, you stink and I'm resigning you. And then you say, well, fine, you were, you know, never going to learn anyway. Or maybe, you know, this person, the client sees the light and will finally go on in your advised direction. Mm -hmm. But either way, that's really hard to start from ground zero and expect that people are going to pay for uh, intellectual property. My bigger concern would be, does the client not respect your counsel, that they won't listen to you, that that's not a good idea? That's, yeah. that's not a recipe for a long-term successful well, right. relationship. Exactly. This sounds like a client who should hire like, you know, an executive assistant and tell them to go try to do this. And it won't work either. Not a, not a strategic counselor. Right. But, it, but at least then you have hired somebody to do the work that you want done instead of hiring a strategic counsel yeah. and then not listening to them. It's always interesting as we talked about it before, like how often do people get, you know, go to the mat with a lawyer and say, no, this is how they mm -hmm. should um, conduct a case. But usually you hire the lawyer or you hire the dentist or whatever, and they tell you what has to be done. You don't go in and do your own filling and you don't go in and represent yourself in court. Why do you think that you're going to go in and like do your own PR when you've hired somebody who's been doing it for 10, 20 years? Maybe our profession needs to have like a higher education requirement that I'm grandfathered out of. <laughs> but you know, I, I did have a, a thought for a while I, this could still happen I did like the idea of, of giving out a trust relations badge to people that embodied a certain level of you know acumen of, yeah mm -hmm. the trust relations seal approval okay these yeah. people are actually doing trust relations not PR like these people are actually doing trust relations not PR yeah but because it's well, not necessarily about level of education either. I mean, we have people on our team who were never formally trained in PR, didn't get degrees in that. And some of them are the best publicists I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a PR degree. I'm not saying that I'm one of the best publicists you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, but you are. <laughs> All right. Well, should we? We should wrap it up. Wrap up our yeah. cast. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thank you for tuning in for the PR Wind Down podcast. And thank you to Ray for joining us for a great interview. That was a really good one. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and share our show with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you.
And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, please send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes. Can't wait to wind down with you again next time. I'm laughing laughing at the little fuzzy cat feet kicking up in the air right now. It's so cute. I'm so sorry. I know it's like, I'm pretty sure this is on camera. Sorry. (laughs) He's like passed out on his back like a baby. Come for the PR advice, stay for the cat show. I know, right? Look at these, it's like Muppet feet. What is happening over here? Sorry. I'm I like, just got a little thrown off. I love I it. Gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> move my camera so you can't. Look, look. Oh, that's a big baby. <laughs> that is what's happening below screen. <laughs> exactly. So, anyway. work from home problems, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>